This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad the skedaddle factor wasn't too strong. <laughs> At least some people failed to, to, to get to skedaddle. <laughs> um, how many people here are new? I see people I don't recognize. Ooh, wow, wonderful. Welcome, welcome, all of you. I won't ask you to say that, tell anything about yourself. <laughs> um, so anyway, well, happy, happy leap day. Yeah. Sort of fortuitous. I get to give a Dharma talk on a leap day. <laughs> it kind of fit in with my subject a little bit too, on purpose. But well, this talk started to be about fear, uh, but I very quickly realized that, that to talk about fear is kind of like to talk about life. <laughs> so <laughs> that could go on for a while. So. I kind of whittle it down and sort of thought, well, I'll talk about fearlessness. That seems to be in shorter supply. (laughs) When I started thinking about fear and looking at my own fears and reading a few people's pithy comments about fear, uh, it reminded me once again of how ubiquitous fear is, how we are always uh, living with fear of one kind or another. Um, do I get agreement on that, or so we're all awash in fear, and we swim in it, and we live in it. And in fact, Judith Leaf says, this, "I thought this was interesting. Fear is the gasoline in the vehicle of ego. So without fear, there's no ego." So. And if you think you don't have fears, or very many fears, you may be suffering from what Trungpa Rinpoche calls idiot fearlessness. (laughs) It's kind of like that that joke about if you remain calm while everyone else is panicking, maybe you just don't understand the situation. (laughs) So, uh, um, I thought of asking everybody, or asking for volunteers of, Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll just try and see if anyone is anyone will 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 step up to the plate on this. But I wondered if anybody would be willing to share a fear they just had in the last since they sat down in this room. Anybody? All right, Josh, a fearless warrior. What? So I have a fear I should be writing. <laughs> Good one. Yeah. Well, I fear we should be doing something rather than what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, Rob, I knew you'd have something. I think this um, topic is excellent for this moment in time. I have a feeling we are all afraid of um, what's happening in the world with um, uh, the virus. Yeah. Oh, the virus. Yeah. Yeah. And other things too. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? No. No, I was just thinking of the old saying from FDR, we have nothing to fear but fear ourselves. But, or something to that fact. But the other thing I was thinking of is the one that says, uh, little fears nibble at one's soul, large fears swallow them whole. Uh-huh. So, um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, good. Fear Thank is a you. state of mind, I guess. Does anybody hear that? 
Little fairies nibble in our soul, large fairies Little fairies nibble in one's soul, large ones swallow them whole. Thanks. <clears throat> yes, Mary. Yeah, I, I, at first I said, oh, no, I didn't have any fear. And then I said, oh, well, that's not really quite true. I started realizing I was rotating my shoulders because I was very afraid of my shoulders being yeah. tight because I have a shoulder issue right now. So it, it motivates all of these. There's a lot of ways in which fear is working in the background in ways that you consciously don't access. And until you look at it, you go, oh, that's driven by this fear of yeah. losing function. Yeah. That's that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Bruce. I was I was thinking also that it's it's really quite easy to identify specific fears, but I was reminded of that story about the, the two goldfish swimming one way and the one swimming the other way, and the one says, "How's the water?" and keeps going, and of the two, the one says to the other. What's water? <laughs> it's like, what are your specific fears? I don't know. What's fear? Yeah. Sometimes it seems like we're just swimming in it. What we swim in. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you, everybody. Um, that my fear that that wouldn't work. Um, <laughs> so, so frequent, as so frequently happens. Fears don't ever seem to turn out the way you think they're going to. So, uh, according uh, to the Buddha, there's two types of fears. There's fear of death and fear of life. <laughs> fear of death I've done a lot of looking into because, you know, it's so easy to think. Well, not at my age, but when you're 25, you think, oh, I don't ever think about death. I'm not afraid. Of yeah, I probably am, but I don't experience it. But I want to tell you that we all extremely heavily experienced fear of death all our lives. Um, you know, I I'm, I'm kind of have a lot of social anxiety, and I used to be really scared to go to parties, or social situations really scared me. And, uh, and I never thought to ask why, you know, because now it seems kind of silly, but, you know, I was so afraid of going to a party and not knowing anybody there and nobody talking to me, me sitting back in the corner, eating my hors d'oeuvres and not enjoying them and, and just feeling horrible, you know. Never thought to ask, why Why would I feel horrible about that? What's so bad about that? Oh, and I think that is a very good example of fear of death at work because nobody notices you, you're not there. It's death, you know, it's like death. Um, or being afraid of silence, and a lot of people, maybe no one here is like that, because people that have a fear of silence usually have a lot of trouble meditating. <laughs> fear of silence, it's fear of death. It's fear of death, and we have that. Uh, you know, and, and what about this um, compulsion to keep busy that so many of us experience? You know, but got to keep busy, got to keep letting everybody know I'm around. I got to, you know, stick out. I got to, I got to speak up. I, I've got to present myself and, and show everybody that I'm. Uh, not only a very worthwhile person, but I'm also alive. And uh, yeah, so so death is uh, the fear of death is uh, when you start thinking about it. At least it becomes very obvious. Uh, fear of life. Uh, I don't know. I suppose that's different for everybody. But shyness. I'm very shy. I don't like being shy, but I am, and uh, I don't want people to. I don't want to be seen. So I want to be seen on one hand, but I don't want to be seen. <laughs> I don't want to be seen too much. I might flub up, you know. Uh, uh, so uh, I, don't want to, I would rather lurk in the background and not be pointed out. 
I went to a, I went to a workshop uh, two weeks ago, and there were ten of us that were going to be together for four days, and the coach asked everybody to uh, talk about a few points about themselves. The way she humorously said it is, "Tell us a couple things about yourself so that we can gossip about you at lunch." <laughs> but I was out of the room at the time she did this, and so they went around the room and everybody did this, and then I came in and she said, "Well, Pat," and then she's throwing this question on me. All I could think of to say was, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. I mean, I probably could have it. I'd been in the room and gotten, you know, come up with some things to say. But I was just, you know, then I was very embarrassed about saying that. <laughs> Everybody thinks I'm a real wuss here. <laughs> and at that moment, they'd be right. Um, so, um, you know. Uh, Mary already mentioned how important it is to be uh, aware of your fears, or to be able to see what you're, what you're, what you're thinking. You know, what? How is fear driving me this moment? Uh, and that's the first step, of course, to working with fear is to know what you're, know you, know you're experiencing it. And then the second step, sometimes that's enough. Sometimes just knowing you're experiencing it. You know, I play, I practice music, and. Um, I play the flute, and I practice most every day. And uh, one time, uh, there was a very tiny little incident, but it really stuck with me because it was uh, helpful. Uh, I was having trouble with the passage uh, that I couldn't seem to play, no matter how hard I practiced it. And uh, I, uh, for some some reason, was able to see that uh, when I got to that uh, measure that had the problem in it, I felt fear. I felt fear. I was just practicing at home. What, why, am I, why am I feeling fear over this? And then I realized I was feeling fear because I feared that in a little while I was going to feel frustrated again because I couldn't play this. So I was fear, afraid of my own, my own frustration and a feeling of fail, failure once again. You know? And it was kind of amazing because once I stepped back and saw that, saw that fear was happening there and fear was present in this uh, moment, I was able to play it, and so it doesn't always work out that well, but sometimes just seeing it is enough. Um, the interesting thing about fear is even when we're happy, we're afraid. What are we afraid of when we're happy? We're going to lose it. We're going to lose it, so we'll be happy in a little while, and then we're going to be used to this new level of happiness, and oh, now, now we'll never be happy. <laughs> So the next step after noticing your fears is to what? To what? What do you do after you notice that you've got a fear? What do you do when you notice that you have a pain while you're sitting in meditation or you have an itch or something? Panic. Panic? Sit in the middle of it. Get in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Just be with it. Be, be with it, really. Bring your attention to it. What, what does this feel like to me? Always, teachers are always saying, well, where is it in your body? You know, where, where, where am I experiencing this fear? Is it in my belly? It seems to be usually in the belly, but uh, sometimes it's in my heart. Uh, so really being with that fear and not, uh, not, not turning away from it. Not turning away from the fear. Being, being with it. Um, 
you know, when I, when I realized this was Leap Day, uh, I, I thought about uh, another paragraph to add to my talk. Because I thought about, uh, you know, I used to, well, I guess I, I, until a few years ago, I used to go to a Rinzai monastery up in New York State called Daibasatsu. And my teacher was Shinge Roshi, the, the, the abbot there. Um, and so I worked on koans, and uh, there were a lot of koans that really got under my skin and affected me in wonderful ways, and koan work uh, can be very rewarding. But there was one koan that I couldn't ever get my arms around. I just couldn't penetrate it in any way. And that was the koan, I think you, many of you probably have heard of, the koan about the 100-foot pole. Uh, it's formally presented as, Sakiso Osho asked, how can you proceed on further from the top of a 100-foot pole? How can you proceed on further? How you can you step off, take the next step off of the 100-foot pole, it's sometimes said. So this is a koan about fearlessness. And, you know, it's, it, it, still strikes, strikes, it still strikes terror in my heart just to think about stepping off a 100-foot pole. Uh, and I think uh, we'll tell a funny story about it. Um, up at Daibasatsu at Sishin once, after I'd quit trying to work on this koan. Because, I mean, I tried to work on this koan for a couple of years and just couldn't, couldn't, I, I, I even feel a little terror right now just thinking about it. And uh, anyway, this funny story is that uh, I was at Sishin and uh, well, Shinge Roshi's Dharma heir gave a Dharma talk. And in the Dharma talk, he's, you know, in the middle of this Dharma talk, he said something about, well, you know that koan about the 100-foot pole? I just want to let you know, there's no bottom. <laughs> and this uh, relief washed over me. Oh, wow. I mean, I, sometimes I would think that, but I didn't really believe that there was no bottom. And I, uh, uh, anyway, I felt this, this relief. And, oh, maybe I, can, maybe I can get over that koan now. Anyway. Well, the next day, Shinge Roshi gave a, ta a Dharma talk, and she, the very first thing she said was, listen, I hate to tell you all, but there is a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> and I just sort of like... <laughs> and I, I thought, I don't know if they planned that. I don't think so. But I, it was such a wonderful teaching because... Uh, it's kind of like the moot koan, you know, the, do the koan about uh, the dog having Buddha nature, and, and Joshu just says, moo! In other words, he's saying, that's not the point. I mean, we could argue endlessly about whether a dog has Buddha nature, and it's just a meaningless chasing of a stick, you know? But we, we transcend that, that kind of thinking. And so they were saying, hey... It, it's not the point whether there's a bottom or not. It's not the point. Isn't that you're going to go splat when you land on the pavement? And uh, uh, the point is um, whether we can accept whatever is going to happen in our lives. You know, if you can step off that pole and accept what except what, what will happen. And, and if you can have faith, I mean, a, a faith is kind of a, a difficult word, I think, but I think having faith means believing that the universe is uh, in some way a, a workable situation and that people 
all people have what we call Buddha nature or innate goodness. And if you can really believe that, it makes, you know, stepping off a pole isn't so bad. It still seems bad. A hundred feet isn't that high. What if I don't die and I'm living a little, you know, I can make up <laughs> stories. So, um, yeah. So that brings me to the the uh, uh, well, the my, my the title of my talk is the lion's roar. Actually, I'll give that away right now. The lion's roar. So I wanted to talk about the lion. Um, you know, a long time ago, about eight years ago, I guess. Joe Hall. How many people remember Joe? Yeah. Uh, Joe told me a story uh, that went like this. Uh, it was a woman, and she lived either in Africa or uh, India, where there's lions, and she was out, you know, gathering firewood or water or something, and uh, she saw a lion off in the distance, and the lion saw her, and uh, she started to run, and her house wasn't that far away, but the lion was very fast, and she was terrified. She was running in complete terror. And uh, the lion uh, gained on her, and when she wasn't that far from her house, she could feel the lion's breath, and then the lion let out a roar, a great roar. And uh, in the, at the instant of that roar, the woman's mind became calm and she found peace. That was the end of the story. <laughs> and of course, I took the story very literally. It was something that happened, probably. Maybe it does happen. And I took it very, uh, very, very, very literally, because I take everything very literally, which really gets in the way of working on koans and other <laughs> things, most things. Um, and uh, so I imagine I had a happy ending, of course. I mean, the woman obviously was telling this story, so she must have been somebody must have shot the lion just right before, you know, and she survived and told and told this story, and that was that the story. For some reason, that story stuck with me, even though I had, you know, uh, I kind of made a happy ending of it. And, but anyway, it stuck with me all these years, and um, it kind of came to fruition in this talk, I guess. So thank you, Joe, for sharing that with me. I, I realize now that this probably wasn't, and I don't know what Joe, it was in Joe's mind when he told it to me, but I have a feeling this may be a Tibetan Buddhist uh, parable or fable. Um, and just like, just like the, uh, uh, the bottom or the not the bottom isn't the issue. What happened to the woman isn't the issue. The issue is that she was peaceful. And um, since death is something that's going to come to every single solitary one of us, even if we think it won't, or we think it'll be a long time from now, um, the uh, only thing that works is to have peacefulness, or to accept it, to be able to have, to, to die with, uh, with peace in our, in our mind, in our heart. So... Um, this um, and, and I actually <laughs> had never, never thought about a lion's roar. I, that story's been with me all this time. And then Shambhala Sunda changed its name to the lion's roar, and 
I never connected those two in any way, but I, I did uh, realize that, um, and I never hear anything in Zen about lions. Maybe maybe you'll have in mind. It doesn't seem to be something that, that we uh, that we've adopted. But the Tibetan Buddhists, I think, really take uh, the image of the lion very seriously because the Buddha, in two of his discourses, talked about himself as a lion. Um, and uh, I found all the, both those discourses. It's a long, long one and a short one. And, um, I read this on the web uh, in the introduction to those discourses. The expression of the lion's supremacy is its roar, a roar which reduces to silence the cries, howls, bellows, shrieks, barks, and growls of lesser creatures. When the lion steps forth from his den and sounds his roar, all the other animals stop and listen. On such an occasion, none dares even to sound its own cry, let alone to come into the open and challenge the fearless, unsurpassable roar of the golden-maned king of beasts. So this lion's roar, or this lion, our li the lion is the Buddha, or we could say the lion is our Buddha nature, and we all have a lion. We all have a lion uh, as... Um, you know, part of our nature, but I don't know how I, I picture all my all my Buddha nature stuff. And my lion, I picture it down in my belly, some little lion down there. So a little bit more about the lion. Um, so I started looking up in books that I had around my house, but uh, written by Tibetan Buddhists, and I of course have been. I mean, Trungpa Rinpoche, so I looked, at, looked through the books I had by him to see if, uh, if he talked about the lion's roar. And sure enough, he had a chapter in his book called Myth of Freedom called The Lion's Roar. So here I'll quote from him. This is what Trungpa says about the lion's roar. The lion's roar is the fearless proclamation that any state of mind, including our fierce emotions, is a workable situation. So that's when I realized, oh, that, that story from Joe, that's what that's all about. It's a workable situation. Our death is a workable situation. Uh, and then I found uh, a, a, an article in uh, Psychology Today by Tara Brake, who isn't a Tibetan Buddhist, I don't think. I think she's an insight person, insight meditation person. But she said, just to reiterate, really, Sukha is a kind of faith. It's a kind of trust that our heart can be with whatever comes our way. It gives us a confidence that is sometimes described as the lion's roar. It's the confidence that allows us to say, no matter what life presents me, I can work with it. So, the lion to Tibetan Buddhism, or Tibetan Buddhism, I guess, uh, and to the Buddha himself is... Is our, well, I already said that. It's our, it's our better nature. Sometimes my notes screw me up. Um, and actually, uh, apparently, uh, people didn't have images. Probably, Buddha probably wouldn't allow images of himself during his life since he didn't want to be thought of as a, some kind of god or something. Uh, and there didn't appear, to, uh, images of the Buddha didn't appear until about 100 years after his death. And a lot of times he was portrayed. Uh, as a lion, uh, and so you see lions, or he'd be riding, and then he'd be riding on a lion, or something like that. There's another uh, lion parable called the lion's gaze parable, and it goes like this. This is 
some passed down to us from the Tibetan sage Milarepa. When you run after your thoughts, okay, I'm sorry about this to any of you who are dog owners. I apologize, but <laughs> when you run after your thoughts, you're like a dog chasing a stick. Every time a stick is thrown, you run after it. Instead, be like a lion who, rather than chasing after the stick, turns to face the thrower. <laughs> you only still throw a stick <coughs> once. <laughs> <laughs> so you know how dogs are I mean I've, I don't have a dog but uh, my friends have dogs and I, I know how much fun it is to throw a stick for a dog because you love their eagerness and they just they just put themselves so totally into chasing the stick and they'll just keep doing it over and over and over again until they're so tired they can't do it anymore um, and you know a lot of people live their lives like that too they chase after their thoughts whatever the thought says you want this you want that you, you, you've got to be this you've got to be that um, some of those are very good things our mind might tell us but if we are just going after it like chasing after it like we have to have this in order to be uh, a good human or that we, need, we have to do this in order to not be dead we have to do this um, if, if you're doing things in that way uh, you're like chasing a stick and a lot of people do that over and over till the day they die. They're chasing sticks, um, and they um, and they might be doing it most enthusiastically. Um, so, but uh, but the lion says, you know, hey, look at the source. Turn towards the source of, of the stick. That's a, probably a lot more useful and actually probably a lot more interesting. <laughs> There's a stick <laughs> It wants to be thrown. Okay, so uh, yeah, and and uh, another uh, thing about uh, about lions is a lot of times uh, in, in Indian art there will be. Uh, what are you going to do? Yeah, I'm scared what you're going to do. Oh. <laughs> Nothing dramatic. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, so an Indian art often <coughs> depicts lions as uh, you know, four lions, and they're all looking. In, uh, their rear ends are all together, and their heads are all looking in each one of the four directions. And uh, because this whole idea of the lion is uh, very exposed, and the lion is seeing 360, you can't avoid the lion's gaze. And when you radiate fearlessness, it radiates in all directions. Fearlessness, I've used that word several times. What is fearlessness? Is it lack of fear? It seems to imply that, fearlessness. Is it lack of fear? That's too obvious a question, I guess. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Fearlessness is not lack of fear. Fearless is uh, looking fear straight in the eye. And wherever that takes you, it's looking it straight in the eye. And it's interesting, that thing about the lions looking in the four directions, because that koan that I talked about, the koan about stepping off the 100-foot pole, has a second part. And the second part is, you who sit on the top of a 100-foot pole, although you have entered the way, you are not yet genuine. Proceed on from the top of the pole, and you will show your whole body in the 10 directions. 
fearlessness is totally out there, totally open for everyone to see. So, um, I thought that in this chapter of Trunkmas that was in The Myth of Freedom called The Lions, the chapter was The Lions Roar, and it was only five pages long, which is great for me because I, have, I don't have a, a good uh, long attention span, so five pages was perfect. And he talked about this whole concept of looking into your fear or being with your fear and not turning away from your fear. And he explained it in such a wonderful way because one wonder, why does that work? Why do we get taught when we meditate to look right into our knee pain or look, look right, be right with that itch that we feel or that restlessness or these uncomfortable emotions? Why is it helpful to just be there with it and look at it? Doesn't that make your life a lot more miserable being really aware of these things, wouldn't it be better to go to a movie and uh, just, you know, chill, right? So why does that work to just look into, uh, into our, to be, to be with our, our whatever we're experiencing totally? Uh, and he, he just made this so clear because he talked about when we feel an emotion like fear or anger, and by the way, everybody knows, I guess, that anger is really a manifestation of fear. We, we, make, we make ourselves angry because we don't want to feel, we don't want to be scared. It's kind of cowardly, right? Feeling fear. So we get angry instead and blame someone else or whatever, whatever we do because anger is kind of, kind of energetic and, and powerful and you know, we can protect ourselves with anger. Uh, so anyway, whenever we feel uh, these these, these uh, difficult emotions or physical pain or, or even just passion, which sometimes isn't viewed as, as uncomfortable, but once you get really to looking at it, you can see that it is. Um, uh, that when we, when we feel those, it's like they're coming at us, like energy coming at us. It's like on the attack and we have to protect ourselves from it. But if we can actually take a leap of faith and and jump into that emotion and become kind of, I don't know, it sounds trite to say become one with it, you know, or or make it our own or make embody it as as part of us. If we can see that it's just another some of our energy and it's and it's us and it's not out there. It's not out there. It's no longer coming at us. Now it's we're, you know, we're not going to be afraid of something that's not coming out. It's, it's, it's not outside of us. So once it becomes integrated uh, into us, and we see that it's really just us, uh, we're not at war with it anymore. We can dance with it. So, um, so back to this woman. This woman was was overcome by the lion's roar. Uh, her hers happened to be an external lion, lion, but we have our external, we have our internal lion's roars also. Anyway, this lion's roar was so fierce and so loud that it just engulfed her, and she was no longer at war with her fear. And uh, another way to say this is she completely accepted what was happening. This happened, and it's okay. You know, I can deal with this. It's workable. Really. Yeah, well, I'm sure she didn't think those things. She just, she was not thinking. So, um, so I hope that on this leap day that we can all make a, a leap, a leap of faith, 
and uh, that we can all experience this lion. And maybe I'll actually, maybe I'll be able to deal with that colon just a little bit better, or at least uh, gain a little bit of peace. And I hope everybody does today. And um, so I guess I'm, Ready. I'm finished with my talk, part of the talk, but I'd love to hear from anybody else about. I wanted to say that sometimes I think the fear of death, what underlies it, is not knowing it's the fear of the unknown. Yes. So in the Tibetan tradition of Buddhism, there's a great understanding of what the process of death is and the bardo and the stages you go through. And really, death is a process as natural as being born. Absolutely. And so we can come into this world screaming and crying and full of fear, and we can leave the world in the same way if we want to, but we can also learn what is involved in dying, and we can die well. We don't need to be scared of that. <clears throat> we don't have to be until the very end, pushing it away. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, I have a question um, about this koan, and um, I'm, I am uh, reminded of another uh, woman who sort of created, faced her fears and sort of led to an awakening, which was Emma Children, and she, and she wrote in that book, When Things Fall Apart, about how when her husband left her and everything just sort of seemed like her life just sort of came apart. The thing that she was, the position she was in sort of seemed like evaporated. She said she sort of felt the groundlessness. And I, I, I wonder if you think that that koan is about uh, coming to terms with the groundlessness. Oh, uh, yeah, like literally. Right, yeah, like absolutely. Was, was stepping off absolutely. Of, of a fixed position into a sort of an unknown position. Right. The, the, the stepping off the pole is like that. Yeah, that's another aspect of that. I mean, well, for me, yeah, jumping into a void, basically. Jumping into what some of us think of as nothingness, or maybe it's emptiness, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I, I was thinking about that actually. Uh, I've been practicing a long time, and uh, I had a lot of trouble for a while in my life with groundlessness and being afraid of the void, you know, afraid of this sort of this perceived nothingness that you know uh, is is so much a part of our lives. And uh, for me personally, I kind of came to terms with that a, a while back, and uh, uh, kind of uh, one day I just asked myself, I said, uh, do, you think, do you think this void that I'm so afraid of, sometimes I actually envision myself sitting next to the void and feeling abject fear, and I, I said, I had a moment of inquiry, actually, they say. And I thought, do you think that this void that I'm so afraid of is really just the emptiness? And, and you know, an emptiness in Buddhism is um, just the emptiness of the separate self, or um, the uh, and, and emptiness is taught as a very wondrous, wondrous thing because it's uh, all all potential, right? You know, I mean, if we don't have any rigid ideas about things were open to anything and uh, and it was really weird when I asked myself that question that fear went away and hasn't really come back 
uh, and just because I asked myself my question, that question, and what was so weird about it is that, you know, in my other side of my brain, I knew the answer to that question, but when I was in this side of my brain, it was like a total new question that came up. Anyway, I'm sorry I got off onto that, but <laughs> that is part of that fear, is the, the fear of just jumping into emptiness, jumping into emptiness. I, I noticed um, when, um, is that kind of what you were getting at? Well, I guess, yeah, I wanted to ask you, like, I've noticed that in reading books with others, like, when you come to a part of the book where, oh, here's next chapter is about emptiness teaching, and I'd be the only one in the room when the next week came around, because it was like, <laughs> <laughs> well, why So you imagine that that was why? <laughs> it happened over and over again, and I was like, okay, <laughs> scary word. Scary. Yeah. And, uh, Some people call it boundlessness, which isn't so scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, so that, yeah. But mostly for me, what comes up is just that because I sort of feel like I've come to some kind of terms with the emptiness thing, I, I, I for me it's more just, you know, going splat. <laughs> I was thinking about the idea of courage being Open, like you're yeah, talking about yeah, expansive. Yeah. Um, your open, your heart is open. You're open. You allow others to see your vulnerabilities, and the more you allow people to see your vulnerabilities, the less you have to fear, because you're facing them. You're letting other people see them, and instead of pushing people away, it seems to bring people closer. That's very true. That's very true. If you expose yourself, almost always people will show some interest. Yeah. But, it, but I, I like the word courage because it has that, you know, top, it, it, it's about the heart and opening the heart. Yeah. Well, it does take courage, doesn't it, mm -hmm. to expose yourself? So maybe that's a, for me, it's a better word than fearlessness, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the, so courage is, is a better word than fearlessness. Well, yeah, it's right. It's a, it's a decent word, too. Pat, I, yeah. that, that story you told about the woman being chased by the lion, so I'm really literal, too, and I take it as she saw the lion and started running and never looked back, but in her mind she imagined it was getting closer and closer. In fact, she could feel its breath, but when it roared, well, lions don't roar when they're running. So I figured he was still over there. <laughs> oh, that's your happy ending of the story. <laughs> so she was relieved because it roared. Oh, he, was, he never took the bait. <laughs> okay, we got to make up our happy, our happy yeah. stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing I was thinking about was this. Fear of losing yourself. You losing know, yourself. But if you open to this boundlessness, you'll lose yourself. Exactly. That's the but fear of the void. Yeah. You but you don't, right. You're yeah. you're in it in the boundlessness. You don't have to struggle with that fear of losing yourself. Right. Yeah. It's another way, yeah. Thank you. You don't have to lose yourself when you're I'll say again what you said. You said it pretty well, I think. I think, you know, in the way that a lioness and a lore is this boundlessness, but once you're in that boundlessness, you realize you're, you're part of You're that. part of the boundlessness. You're part of, you're part of it. 
too old to go rent those scooters and ride around town. I would love Everybody to do that. <laughs> What's that? I said everyone's too old for this. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's too old, probably. Yeah. Well, if everyone's too old, then nobody's too old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. When you get older, you, you kind of feel, you can feel like life's passing you by, you know, especially after you retire and People are using new words in my old profession, which I can't even relate to anymore, and I feel left out. You used some expression the other day. What did you call it? What your word for a nerd was? What? Uh, I said neckbeard. 
and nobody understood. Neckbeard? <laughs> oh, it wasn't just me. Oh, okay. Did you say neck? Say it again. Neckbeard. Neckbeard, like yes. beard on your neck. Anything else? If not, we can go eat cookies. <laughs>